Hi, Creative. It's Lauren here. I just want to remind you that if you love the podcast, the best way to support the show is by leaving it a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Actually, Spotify just started accepting ratings. So go ahead and rate it on there and tell all your friends to do it because it's super simple. It takes literally one second. I mean, maybe four seconds, but it's really quick. And uh, another great way to support the show is by sharing it with a friend or posting about it on social media. If you do post it on social media, tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. And remember to tag the guests too, so they can also share. Okay, now let's get to the show. Do you love something, but you think it couldn't possibly become a career? Maybe it's a small passion without an industry behind it, or maybe you're not an expert and what you love is just something you consider a hobby. Or maybe you have a big idea and you just don't have time as a parent or a breadwinner or because you feel it's too late. Well, today's guest has struggled with all of those questions and those thoughts, and somehow she found a way to overcome all of it. She found her success in her passion later in life while caring for three small children and running another full-time business. Get ready to be inspired to double down on your idea, expand what you think you're capable of, and erase any stigma you feel about taking the leap towards something big and beautiful and maybe even a little weird. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, public speaker, actor, and creative coach. And this show is meant to give you tools to claim the word creative, take fear out of the driver's seat, and love yourself enough to pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. On the show, we explore the creative process and journey, mental health, self-development, spirituality, and everything it means to be a human and become more human. Today's guest is Shelly Brander. Shelly is, in short, the queen of a knitting empire. Yes, you heard that correctly, a knitting empire. Knitting started as a hobby during Shelly's very lucrative career in branding and turned into a major career shift for her when she found out her favorite yarn shop closed down. So when that happened, she opened up her own local yarn shop called Loops, and she set on course to own a booming e-commerce business and eventually founded a worldwide knitting summit and brand. Alongside her love of knitting is the love of spreading an idea that anyone can make a living doing what is on their heart, what is their passion. She spreads that message as a TEDx speaker and as the author of her best-selling book, Move the Needle. This conversation that I had with Shelly is one of my most favorite ones I think I've ever had on the show. It was so open and vulnerable. It felt like I was talking with a friend that I'd known for years, and we really just had a heart-to-heart discussion. I wanted to have Shelly on the show, first of all, because, I mean, she made a career out of knitting. If she can do that, we can do anything, you know? There's no hobby too big or too small to take and make into your career. I also wanted to have her on because she didn't have an easy road. There were so many times when she almost gave up. And she shows that one of her biggest obstacles were the ones of self-doubt. Questions like, should I take this leap? Is it too late? Shouldn't I prioritize making money for my family? What will a career change do to my relationship? And of course, 
what will people think of me if this fails? She's so honest and so vulnerable about these things. These are fears that have stopped so many amazing creatives from pursuing what they know deep down in their heart is their purpose for this life. And if you've ever asked yourself even one of these questions, then this episode is for you. And again, as you'll hear Shelly say, if you can make it in knitting, you can make it anywhere. So let's knit to it. Sorry for that. I had to. As I get older, dad jokes just feel more and more normal to me. All right. Well, here she is, the amazing Shelly Brander. I'm so happy to have you on. Shelly, okay, I was like doing my prep for you and I'm like, I think you are the most unique and interesting guest I've ever had on my show. So thank you so much for being here. I'm glad to be here. I think I've done research on you and I think you're the most unique podcaster I've ever gotten to be on with. So thanks. You've got great synergy going. Yeah. Um, you were asking me, you would listen to the episode I did about not getting weighed and you're saying like, does it help? Have you noticed yourself being more bold in other areas and like setting boundaries and saying no? And I was telling you, yeah, like honestly, I call it microdosing courage. You, you start saying no in some areas to get to the tougher areas. So I, I feel like I've mastered it in my personal life, like with people I love and trust, right. With strangers mm -hmm. with like business negotiations when it comes to like my car, like I'm really good at negotiating for my car. <laughs> it's harder for me with like business I'm passionate about. So like mm. the podcast, um, my job job, as I call it as a producer, mm -hmm. my songwriting, like that I'm still mastering, but I'm getting to the point where I'm like, no, I am valuable. And I do have the ability to say no. And if that upsets someone, then they're probably triggered because they don't feel like they can do it in their own lives. That's really true. So do you think it's the power dynamic that there's like a different power structure yeah. there? Is that why? I think it's a power dynamic. And I think also we're taught, especially as women, but all people on some level are taught, like, just be happy with what you have. Don't ask for too much, accept what you've got. You know, you're lucky to have anything mm -hmm. and just keep moving along. Mm -hmm. And it's only with people like you who see things that are out of whack and they're like, but couldn't it be different? that the world actually moves forward. So I'm curious, I want to get into everything in your story, sure. but what has been your journey with setting boundaries and asking for what you deserve? Yeah, I'm actually, I feel like I'm really just coming into my own, just like you about it, right? When I look back through my story, right? The thread is that anytime so, tell, someone told me I can't, I realized I said, no, I can, or just like, watch me, right? But as much as I saw that thread, as I mapped out my story and everything, got ready to write my book, I find that I'm, I still have big areas to, that, to struggle in. And I think the difference is, the difference is this, I was recently talking to my therapist actually, and she's like, you're really good at saying you, you can't, but what about saying you won't? It's like, what's the difference between I can't do that? You know, I can't go to that party tonight, or I just won't. And that just hit me in the chest. Oh, yes. Okay. So that is a huge difference because I mm -hmm. can't just saying I'm it's still apologizing, right? Exactly. I won't is saying this is just not within the boundaries of what I'm willing to do in my life and I need to protect my energy. Yeah. It's claiming your full, your full agency, right? It's not putting it off on anyone else. It's just claiming it. It's that, it's that no is a complete sentence idea, right? Like I don't have to give you the full explanation. I just, I'm just not going to do that, Yeah, you know, and just move on. And you don't have to stop and explain and explain and explain. You know, it's okay to just say that, no, that's not a good fit for me right now. Nope, I'm not going to do that. But, you know, maybe another time, that kind of thing. How have you gotten more comfortable with saying I won't? 
Um, well, I'll tell you why this came up, right? Because I, like you, I had multiple careers for a long time, right? I, I was in the branding business first, and then I opened this yarn store. And uh, I said I'd be out of the branding business after about a year. The trick was that I was in the branding business with my husband. Mm -hmm. And that's how we met. And it's something major that we shared together. And so as time went by and I, I was a young mom, I had both of these businesses, I was pulling my hair out. I would very often just come home to my husband and say, oh, I can't do this anymore. And this is what the therapist was pointing out. She's like, why didn't you just say, I won't do this anymore, you know? And so this, this has just come up for me very recently. And so I have found myself just stopping myself before I go into that explanation, right? Yeah. Just, I mean, not being rude, not being unkind, but just like, no, I'm not able to do that. No, I won't be able to do that. And then not giving a 10 paragraph text explanation of why I can't go to that party or why I'm not going to do that thing. It's just not the right thing for me right now. So interesting. Cause one of the first questions I wrote for you was how did you break it to your husband that you wouldn't be working <laughs> with him anymore? <laughs> Cause I was just like, mm. that must've been so difficult. It's one thing to tell your partner that you're going to go off in this completely different direction. It's another thing when it's totally going to affect the business you currently have. Mm -hmm. First of all, what was the journey like to decide you needed this yarn store? And then the second tier question, which I can also ask after you answer, but mm -hmm. is how did you break it to the hubs? Yeah. Yeah. Those are great questions. Okay. So the thing was that I was in the branding business for 25 years, um, but I was about, I guess, 15, 20 years in when I started to feel like, Hey, this isn't what I want to do forever. And, you know, I'm a generation ahead of you. And like, I feel like my generation, there was this, always this pressure to stick with whatever you do right? It's like, whatever you do, that's going to be your thing forever. And I think nowadays people understand that it's a journey, right? And it's, it's really cool to have a lot of different iterations to your career. But for me, I, I felt like there was stigma around it. And then also because we had met in branding, so we actually met that way. Like we, our romance was all around our creativity. It was around sitting in an agency and like brainstorming together and throwing pencils at the ceiling and like, just, you know, brainstorming. And it was, it was, it was exciting. It was romantic. It was just like, it was all those things. And so that's what our relationship was rooted in. And so I loved advertising, you know, back then, because every day was different. I loved writing, but I also liked the extra challenges of like growing into broadcast producing and, um, you know, just figuring out stories, figuring out problems for all kinds of different businesses. It was different every day. So it was great until it wasn't so great anymore because it started <laughs> to feel... yeah. You know, it started to feel a little bit morally, you know, dubious. You know, it's just kind of part of that business. It can get, there's some dark sides to it. You know, there's some, mm. there's some, I was finding myself really out of alignment. Like I'm doing this thing. I'm good at this thing, but I don't know that I want to be doing this forever, you know? And um, I had been knitting since I was 16 years old and I'd always thought, wouldn't it be great if someone would create a more modern yarn store? Because they were always, they were like super old fashioned and kind of what you would think of, kind of old lady, you know, scratchy itchy yarns. And I couldn't find anything cute to make. And I couldn't find anybody like me who knit. Everybody seemed like they were many generations ahead and, you know, not, not into what I was into. And so I thought, wouldn't it be great if somebody someday started a yarn store? And then one day someone said, why don't, why, why can't that be you? You know, so it became this dream and I kind of nurtured it very quietly in myself for a long time before I brought it to my husband, because that conversation was very tough mm -hmm. because not only was it going to be impact us financially, it was going to impact what had brought us together. You know, it was kind of like saying, 
I think for him a little bit, now I know, it felt like turning my back on what brought us together, you know, like what was the beginning of our relationship. Mm -hmm. And so it was really complicated. So I started out, to answer the second part of your question, I kind of tiptoed into it, <laughs> you know? It was one of those, I didn't just like make a big presentation. It was like over dinner one night, like, you know, I started to kind of share the dream of like, ever since I was young, I dreamed of a better yarn store, you know? And we would just kind of talk about that, but never like, I'm actually going to do this. I don't know how well he heard me because the day that I actually said, I think I want to, I like want to do this thing, you know, it pretty much, I, I think he was silent for a while. <laughs> He's a really easygoing guy, but you know, at first he was kind of like, oh, that's a fun idea. Kind of like, um, oh, so you could do this as a side hustle and maybe open a little pop-up shop or something like that. It was like, no, I think I want to leave branding and move into this all the way. And here's what, here's how I think I can make it work, you know? So it was a series of conversations and he didn't have a, so because of that, he didn't have like a total freak out. Right. He didn't just like start, you know, Why? exactly. <laughs> but the farther we got into it, you know, we had a lot of very intense discussions and, and ultimately, like I said, my goal was to be out of the branding after a year. And it didn't work out that way. I, I, it wasn't possible for a really long time, or at least we didn't think it was possible, you know, financially to switch. So I stayed with the branding for 13 more years. You know, I was in both things for 13 years. And uh, so the yarn shop didn't make a dollar from us for the first seven years. It was a very long process. He let me stay at it because he saw yeah. how much joy it brought, Aww. you know, but also I was, you were bringing well, it though. I was bringing home the bacon. Exactly. Yeah. I was so it happen. literally could say, yeah. And plus, um, the other thing was I was what he called the heavy. Like I was the one who did the account service work and the negotiations and kind of all those things you were referring to, you know, all the, all the heavy duty business part. Mm -hmm. And I kind of made it to where he was able to just kind of do the creative part. I did creative. He did creative. We did that part together. Um, but surely over time, I got where I started to really resent having to do all of that, you know, and um, I started to kind of say, hey, I can't do all the meetings anymore. I can't do all the negotiating anymore. You're going to need to do more of it. And it was it was a series of little steps over a long period of time to where I finally got to where I said, look, you know, I, I'm just, I can't, I can't do it any longer. You know, we've got, I, I think I've got a way that we can move forward and replace both our incomes and you can retire and paint full time. And yeah. so eventually we got there, but it was, it was a long journey and, you know, it didn't have to be as long as it was. It didn't have to be that long, but looking back, everything happened in just the right time. Yeah. You know, I think that about that a lot because of course, there's times in our lives where we probably could have taken a more direct path, but we were afraid or, you know, there's the stakes were high. You had two kids, right? Three, you know, three. Oh my God. Three kids. Yes. Two with special needs. So yeah, mm -hmm. you were dealing with a lot. You were running two businesses. His whole identity was tied up in this one, you know? And mm -hmm. so it makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, if you could have given yourself any sort of mentorship during that time, what would you have done to comfort yourself? Because I think for me, the greatest pain in moments like that, where I stayed in something too long mm -hmm. was the way I beat myself up for doing it. Mm -hmm. How would you have mentored yourself in that time when you were in between making leaps? Yeah. Um, it was really looking back. I wish 
I would have had someone to tell me you don't have to be perfect at all of the things. Um, growing up, there was a picture that my mom gave me. It, it was really cute and it hung on my wall and it said, I may not be perfect, but parts of me are excellent. Mm. And the way I took that as a kid was that I wasn't good enough, you know, because I wasn't perfect and that I needed to strive to be perfect. So that was super ingrained in me as a kid. And so I think as I moved through all of this, I felt like I had to be perfect at momming, right? I had to do all the perfect things for my kids, especially the, the two that had special needs. I had to be perfect at the yarn thing. I had to be perfect at the branding thing. I had to keep all the plates spinning. And if any of them dropped, you know, I was a failure, you know? So when uh, that was all pressure I put on myself, I mean, everybody I've run into was like, why, why, how are you doing this? How are you doing, you know, yeah. two, two businesses and three kids. And like, this is insane. When you sleep, people were saying that to me all the time. I only took that as, yes, look at me. I'm doing all the things I'm doing them all. Right. I didn't let it sink in and say, Hey, maybe I need to slow down. Maybe I need to give myself some grace. You know, maybe I don't have to achieve perfection in every single one of these areas at the same time. So again, looking back, I love the, the quote from um, Steve Jobs. You can only connect the dots looking backwards. You can't connect them looking forward. So mm -hmm. looking back, I'm grateful for that picture that was hanging on my wall. And I, I mean, all of that got me to where I am today. But would I've gotten to where I am today without that much, you know, all of that self-talk, all of that pressure on myself, all of that perfectionism, you know, yeah, I think, I think I would have gotten here and it would have been probably more enjoyable. I could have slowed down and enjoyed the big wins and, the and really celebrate the moments of, you know, the little things in between more. And now finally I'm wanting to do that, but it took it took a long time, you know, would have been nice to hit that point 20 years ago, I think. So how did you start to unravel the tight grip of perfectionism? I think the big moment, um, like one of the, probably the biggest turning, well, there's two. One is when my son was born and we found out he was on the spectrum. That definitely started a journey of, that started a journey of you can't fix fix everything, neither should you fix everything, you know, you know, I think everybody who becomes a parent soon discovers all those things you read and um, what to expect when you're expecting, you know, it doesn't roll out that way, right? There's no, there is no such thing as a book that prepares you. Right. So that definitely, it opened up energy reserves I never knew I had. And it also helped me realize like, you can't, you can't control everything. Mm. You got this other human, they're going to make their own choices. You know, you can only you can only do what you can do to support and love them. The other big moment, um, and probably the biggest one, is what at the time I considered my biggest point of failure. Um, and it turned out to be the big springboard for a lot of things, right? And that was, um, so when I, when I first pitched the idea to my husband, like the, what the original idea was, we're going to open this yarn store, but it's not going to be just one store. We're going to franchise. And I was like, there's no yarn franchise in the world. And this is like the biggest idea ever, you know? And, and so I had that first store. And like I said, I mean, it just, it was not making a pro I was, it was breaking even, you know, barely breaking even, not enough for me to actually take an income from it. Mm -hmm. And I decided this looking back, this was insane, but I, I decided that I should open a second store. Like, Hey, now's the time to try out the franchise thing. So I'll take 
everything I learned from the past seven years with the store, and I'll start with the white box, you know, space and kind of pour everything I've learned into that. So we opened that second store, and when it happened, it was like, it was it was a big ego boost because everybody in the yarn industry was like, oh my gosh, there's this girl in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and she's got this hot yarn shop, and she just opened a second store. Oh my gosh, somebody has sec- two stores, right? So it was like this big ego thing. And so I kind of got caught up in that, and I didn't pay maybe as much attention as I should have to what was actually happening in those two stores because after the initial blush of the excitement of a grand opening and everything, we started to have problems and they, they started to kind of, the two stores, the staffs kind of started fighting each, with each other. Like <laughs> yarn drama. We could go, we can do a whole show about yarn drama. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> but they would fight over who had, which store had the best yarn and you know, which store was getting more yarn and who was selling more yarn. It was just this, it became this whole thing. And um, also we couldn't grow online like I wanted because our inventory there was a tech glitch and we couldn't combine the inventory, long tech story. Mm. But the biggest thing was, and I, I didn't realize it until I went through it, was the energy was divided. Like when we had one store, all our team, but also all our customers were all in one place. And you could feel that vibe in the air when everybody's like creating together. And it was like, there was this magical vibe. And when we had two stores, even though the traffic was high, the, the energy was not the same. It was, it felt divided too. The customers would identify with one store or the other. And it was just like, I don't know. So then financially it was really tanking just for various reasons. And I, I was about to, I, sh- I was like, I should close one store financially. That'd be the way to move forward. But I'm so caught up in the ego of these two stores. You know, I can't, I'll look like a failure to everyone. I'll be going backwards, right? I can't, that, I I just can't face that. And after a whole lot of soul searching, thinking about it and thinking, do I want to go back into branding full time? What are we going to do? Um, I decided to go ahead with it and close both, I closed both stores and I opened one in the, in the middle between. And from that day forward, what I saw is this, like the energy immediately just centered and then the whole online part of the business took off um all of these things just blew open you know it's like oh my gosh i remember waking up that morning i'd been up to like 4 30 hanging fixtures and stuff getting ready to mm. and i i woke up at like 6 30 somehow just massively energized like this is what's supposed to happen this is the right you're on you're back on track right it just felt so right you know when everything really aligns you're like oh wow yeah. um and so that was a, a huge thing to realize that if I could that it go through the failure, right? If I could face that failure and move through what, the perceived failure and go ahead and do what felt, what I knew in my gut was the right thing. That was kind of like part of a journey to learn to really trust, trust my gut and, and not worry so much about what everybody else was going to think. So yeah, did that answer the question? <laughs> Oh, that answered every question. <laughs> the interview's over. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I just think that that's so powerful because so often we think the thing that is like our biggest failure ends up being our biggest expander, which is what this was. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious when you were at that seven-year point, like it would have been really easy for you to just turn around and go in, back toward branding, but you mm-hmm. decided to keep going. And there's something interesting it's what I've coined as the creative crossroads where you have that decision. Mm. Either you can give up and, and go towards something else. And for some people that really is the right thing, mm-hmm. or you reinvent the way you're doing it completely and double down and go toward it. And 
every single time someone has come on my show and done option B, they've had their greatest success ever. Oh, interesting. How did you know it was option B? Because it, it just so much goes back to the gut feeling like every time I tried to fathom or see forward with option A, right. And kind of like future pace it to a month from now, six months, a year from now, it just, I just felt this heaviness, you know, I just felt like this mm. drudgery and I, I just felt sad. And now on paper, it looked smart, right? On paper, rationally, like the rational part of me was like, yeah, that's the right direction. But every time I start to imagine the future and like, what, what's my family going to look like with this 20 years from now, what's life going to look like? Um, you know, what's my day in day out going to look like? I, it was like a wall went up. And when I thought about the yarn, I just kept thinking there's, I just in my gut, I feel like there's just a whole lot more to do still. Yeah. Like I, and I think there was another thing I kept coming back to was it was like this feeling that there was a bigger thing. Like there, like I had a mission. It was a mission feeling, you know, like, um, it was bigger than me. The, the, the branding part felt like comfortable, safe. I could do this all day long. I can even get some enjoyment out of it. You know, my husband and I enjoy it together. The yarn felt bigger, like, and really truly from the first day we opened, I saw the impact that it had on other people to just come in, feel welcome, feel like they, you know, other people shared their weird, nerdy passion for knitting and, and just, and the people that would come in and they were going through something like, um, people going through, you know, chemo and stuff. And yarn was like the only thing that they could really do to focus. And mm. literally every day I felt like I was impacting people. I was making really genuine connections and it just felt much more real and grounded. And so I felt like there was more to do in that area. Like that felt like my future. Like I want to have that feeling. I want to have that connection. I want to help other people find this thing. It, it felt like more of a like, this is my purpose in the world. Yeah. Advertising, we could have gone along. Uh, we could have done it really well. You know, it would have made a great living for my family. Um, it probably would have made some impact, you know, helping other businesses, helping tell people's stories, doing nonprofit work and stuff like that. But it wasn't, <laughs> have you ever heard of the book, um, The Blue Ocean? Have you heard of Blue Ocean Theory? I heard of it on a podcast you did. <laughs> <laughs> it's super landed for me. I mean, the basic concept you can get, it's one of those you can do Blinkist or whatever and get the basic concept. It is a good book. Right. And the basic concept is when you're out in the ocean and you're, you're swimming along and like you're doing your thing that you're passionate about and you found a lane and then all of a sudden the water turns red because all the sharks come around and they all start wanting to do the same thing you are. And so the water's turning red that when everybody's doing things like you, you want to swim for the blue ocean and you want to always be swimming for the blue ocean. So as soon as, and it's really an entrepreneurism idea, right? As soon as the water gets red, go, go another direction. I was like, yeah, that's been my whole life. And that super resonated and landed for me, not just in advertising, but more so in, in yarn. I was like, yeah, there's no one doing this thing that I want to do. There's no one creating at least as I saw it at that time, and I, I still believe there's no one creating the, quite the kind of space I want to create for creative people in knitting, you know? And so that, at the end of the day, that's really what made me choose. Yeah, choose option B, as you put it. Choose behind. Well, really, what's behind in the box number C, right? From <laughs> let's make a deal. 
Yeah. So, and it did, yeah. it totally broke open. How'd you put it at the creative crossroads? It just exploded. Yeah. It's like you had your yes. greatest success after that. The other interesting thing that I found, it's like my little case study on the show is that every time I've had a mother on, they've had their greatest success post child mm -hmm. or children, which is interesting because I thought my whole life, oh my God, I have to get everything done that I want to get done before I have a kid. Because after I have a kid, I have to be completely focused on that. And then I'm not, mm -hmm. but actually they can become your why. And also you have to model for them, you know, listen, I'm, you can do anything you want to do because I'm right. pursuing my dream. You can't really give them that messaging if you're like yeah. choosing. I love that you say right? that too, because um, my, I, I worried about that the entire time. Cause when I opened the store, my kids, I had three kids under five and I stressed so bad when I couldn't be that homeroom mom that's bringing cupcakes and all of that, you know, until my youngest, my yeah. youngest is she was getting ready to head off to college. And she one day just said, just kind of out of the blue, God, mom, I'm so glad you didn't do that thing like the other moms, you know, like, yeah, back then I was kind of mad that you weren't making cupcakes for the bake sale. She's like, but you have shown me that I can do, you know, like I can do it. I can have the family if I want. I can change my career if I want, you know, like I'm so glad you did. And that was, that was pretty powerful, but I think you're right. There's something, I don't know if it's the hormones that, that happen through the, the process of pregnancy. And I felt like I felt really empowered during that time. Or just that being a mom, you know, it, it opens up new energy reserves you didn't know ex that were there. You didn't know they existed. That's how it was for me. Anyway. Yeah. I, I just, I didn't know what I was capable of. And I'm not just talking about, you know, in the birth process, but, you know, yes, yeah, which certain. Yeah. <laughs> it is well, a lot. That's a lot. It though. is a lot. And, <laughs> um, and lot. it also opens up your, my, at least for me, for my husband's idea of what's possible. Um, also, my kids were huge. So <laughs> I had a 10 pound eight ouncer. So, you know, <laughs> that's a whole other. Oh, no, You're no. I'll save that. I'll save that to share that with them. Yeah. I yeah, will. Yeah, I'll, I'll put, yeah it'll be their new ringtone. Um, but anyway, it, yeah. but it really did. And I think especially, um, Sam, my oldest who have the special needs, it just, uh, it just, just expanded my capacity of what I thought was possible. Cause when it's your kid, you're gonna, you, you'll do anything, you know? And, and yeah. yeah. So I think that's why. And, and I think just growth in general, you know, it's just, um, maybe it's after, after kids are just aging it past a person, a certain point that you realize, what's possible, right? And kind of start to let those yeah. layers go away of worrying little by little, you worry less and less about what other people think. And like, hey, uh, I'm just going to yeah. do what needs to happen. Seems like you figured that out a lot earlier, yeah. though. I got to say all the things that you do, you've got oh. a lot of plates in the air. So well, I'm very inspired by you. I mean, because you've just been such an innovator and fearless. And I think, you know, I, I, it was very heartening for me to hear you say that you struggled for those 13 years, because like, again, like I'm in the midst of a few different mm -hmm. reinventions right now. And I think my biggest hurdle is like beating myself up for not knowing exactly when the next mm -hmm. leap is going to happen, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, Anyway, I really admire you. And, and one, I want to talk about mm -hmm. another leap you made, yeah, another yeah. blue ocean moment. <laughs> so you transitioned the, I mean, obviously mm -hmm. you still have the storefront, but you transitioned this business into a massive online business and community. Can you take me through how that started? Sure. And how it's that's it's come been to really be? crazy, um, but amazing. Um, so I opened that second store, like I said, and, and 
I mean, that well was my third store, right? I had the two smaller ones, closed them both, opened one. And about a month after that, like I said, the energy, everything, the energy is completely changed in the store. I felt like I was just swimming in all the right things, you know? Um, but I was worrying ahead to the spring because yarn, at least then, is very, it's very seasonal, you know? People get in the mood to work with woolly stuff more in the fall and winter. And so it's typically a feast of famine kind of situation. You know, we'd make a ton of money through the fall and winter and hope that it made enough to pay the bills through the spring and summer. So I was starting to worry ahead to the next spring. And one day I was up late one night, I saw a Facebook ad for this guy named Jeff Walker and he teaches online marketing. And really, even though I'd been in branding all that time, I was not aware of sort of like the growth of just online marketing, the whole launch model, you know, memberships and um, just the basic idea of giving it away for free and letting people have a taste of it and then asking if they wanted to buy something, right? Which now we see it permeates everything, right? Uh, but I love the whole idea of it's kind of like a movie premiere and building up to the excitement and then doing a launch of something. It just really resonated for me. And I also like the generosity of it, you know, that you're mm-hmm. letting people kind of see what you're about before you before you actually make some kind of an offer. So I was curious about it. So I, I kind of followed, I, I read up on it. I decided to buy his online course, which I didn't even know what online courses were. And it was a huge amount at that time. It was $2,000. And I thought like, there goes Christmas for the kids, right? But I mean, I'm going to do this thing. Like it was a big deal at the time. Right. In doing the online course, I got about two modules in and I came up with this idea to, to do a subscription yarn club. And at the time that really wasn't a thing. But I thought, hey, I could take this idea that I had have for my store, which is really highly curated, kind of curated AF, <laughs> um, <laughs> curated AF yarn and designs, and put them together because that was always my struggle. I could I would find a cool yarn I wanted to work with, but I couldn't find a pattern that I would actually want to wear. And so I thought, we'll curate all design patterns, and we'll find cool yarns. We'll put them together. We'll send them out as a kit. I followed the little launch model kind of to the T. And figured out the tech, kind of MacGyvered and duct taped it together, right? And I opened cart on it. And the first little launch I did of it made $75,000. And that was just like mind-blowing at that time, right? And the bigger thing was I figured out, oh my gosh, this is going to solve that whole seasonality problem. Because if we can send out kits every month all year round and people pay for that, then oh, we, we've, you know, we've flattened out the whole finances like, like we've we solve that problem, right? It won't, it will eliminate that fear and anxiety and let me, you know, step into the curation and really work in the mission. So I was packing up kits, like, like this took off and I was one day packing up kits and this Jeff Walker guy said, Hey, he put out a call for case studies. If this has worked out well for you, make me a little video and send it to me. I was just feeling really grateful. I didn't even know what the prize was already. I didn't know. I just like, okay, I'll make a video. So I made a video, I sent it to him. And they, and I got a call a couple of days later, Hey, we want to come film with you in, in Tulsa. So I ended up winning the little contest. And part of that was I got to go to a live event. And again, I'm like, I don't know what, I don't even know. I'd never been to an online marketing kind of live event of any kind, you know? Um, but I went, you know, I'm like, okay, I show up all shiny and bright eyed and like, Oh, here I am the yarn lady, you know, and there are like a thousand people and they're like in a room, you know, dancing around. I was like, what is this? You know? But they played, played the video on the screen. And after that, a girl approached me. She said, have you ever heard of the Modern Calligraphy Summit? 
And I was like, no. And I was kind of really not paying attention to her. There were like people lined up when he talked to me and I was kind of really not focused on what she was saying, to be honest. I said, tell me more about it. She said, well, and she kind of explained what a summit is. And, and she said, I'm wondering if you might be interested in talking about doing that for yarn. And unbeknownst to me, she'd actually researched me and she knew that I was going to be there. And she like, had, you know, had planned this meeting. Wow. I, well, I, I said, well, how did, how did that work for you? Like, how, was it successful? And she told me how much it made. And I was like, oh, tell me more about this. <laughs> so we ended up, um, we got together and we came up with this idea for something called Knit Stars. And it started as an online summit. It's evolved into something um, different over time. We're in the seventh year of that. And I've since bought out my partner, actually. Yes, she did. Which was a big moment. Yes, it is 100% yarn person owned now. But anyway, she was fabulous. It was a great, it was a great experience. But um, when we really realized we were onto something was we opened cart on Knitstars. We thought it might go over in the US and we thought it might be popular in Canada. But the first person who signed up when we hit that open cart button was from Singapore. And then the last person in that sign up period was from Dubai. And we were like, oh, oh, okay. There's other people out there in the world outside of our sphere, right? Who who need that connection and that learning and they don't have access to um, the same kinds of designers and dyers and everything and influencers that we do here in our part of the world. So it was a big moment of like, whoa, this thing could go really global. And so in a nutshell, for people who don't know what Stars is, which is probably a lot of the people that's new to this, it's like, a, it's kind of like masterclass meets documentary style, you know, lifestyle videos. And so I bring my broadcast producer background and just the storytelling, and we actually go to where these people are. So I've been um, to Norway and Peru and Denmark and all over the world. We, we go to knitting influencers who are generally either designers or dyers. I'm like, knitting celebrity is a real thing, you know? <laughs> Believe it or not, it's not an oxymoron. It's a real thing. And, um, and just general influencers of people who are doing cool things in yarn. And then we, we film a little mini documentary and then followed by workshops. And it's just really high-end production. And the cool thing about it is you feel like you get to know the person before you take the class. Mm. So it's kind of brings together. It's really, it's entertainment and learning. And then there's a big online community. So we have people from today, we're, we're about to start our seventh year, seventh season of, of Knit Stars. And each season includes 10-ish different stars. Um, and so you buy the whole package, you buy, buy the whole thing and you get to own those workshops forever. But part of what's really cool about that is they, uh, people will come for a certain star and then they discover all these other ones. So it's just really a rising tide lifts all boats kind of feel, you know, like mm -hmm. it really helps, has helped elevate, I believe all of these stars and the overall quality level of the industry of what's out there. And most of all the accessibility, like it's made it accessible for so many people. I mean, we, with, yeah, we have customers of 52 countries. We have now 60 stars, they call it the Knit Stars family. And then more and more we've been leaning into, you know, also even beyond knitting into bigger issues like, you know, equity, you know, racism in knitting is a thing. It's been around mm -hmm. um, for a really long time and just more human issues so that we, we say, you know, it's really more about just leaning more into your creativity and your humanity, not just so much about knitting. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm obsessed with you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, well, it's what I call soul, S-O-U-L-C-I-A-L justice. Mm. Because 
I think, yes, amazing. Go pick at the streets. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. But you can also use your creativity. You can use your human connections. You can mm -hmm. use storytelling yep. to do the work Conversation. as well. Conversation. And you call it craftivism. Tell me more about that. I didn't coin that term. That, that term was coined uh, by a woman, I think, named Betsy Greer um, oh, a few decades back. Um, but the basic idea is that, you know, when you can come together around whatever your weird thing is, there is this safety that happens. You know, when, you're, when you connect with other people that like this quirky thing that you like, there's just this instant safety that can happen, you know, if you're open to it. And then when you're all sitting together and creating, and I think this happens in all forms of creativity, right? It happens with music. It happens with, you know, painting or, you know, you go to one of those pottery places and you're all painting the pottery together. Um, there's this sort of magical thing because partly because you're focused on the thing you're doing. So you're not like just staring at somebody in their face, you know, like you're, you're busy in the thing. And I think it opens up bigger avenues for conversation. So in that safe space that you have when you're all working together with your hands or whatever and creating, you're able to broach those tougher subjects that you couldn't, the more vertical in the niche, I think the more, the more powerful the connection you can make. Because it's really just the opposite of like when you're out on some big online forum, right? Big public forum where there, there, there's no safety. You never know where the next comment's coming from. You never know where the next attack's coming from. But in that safe space, when, you, when you're connected by something, you can have those tougher conversations. And I, like I said, I've seen it happen on the couch in my store, but I've also seen it happen in the online space once we've created that safety to begin with. It's like in the knitting space, often we'll hear people say, hey, I just, I just want to do my knitting. I just don't want to talk about all that tough stuff. You know, I'm here for, I'm just here for the yarn. You know, it's like, well, you know, we're here for each other. We're not just here for the yarn. And, you know, there's other people who would love to just be able to relax and knit, but they can't because all these things are going on around them because they can't walk into a yarn store and not be followed around the store because of the color of their skin, you know, because they can't just walk in right. and feel safe. So we got to work together to make that happen. So um, I have a friend, Adela Colvin, um, that owns an amazing yarn brand called Lola Bean Yarn Company, which is a, a whole other artistic offshoot of the yarn world. And she has a shirt that I have that says, um, we're all going to have to be a little uncomfortable until all of us are comfortable. Yes. That just really... <laughs> really hits me, you know, and I, I want people to understand, let's not go hide in the creative. Let's use the creative as a springboard to connect in deeper ways than just, you know, just whatever we can make with our yarn. So, yeah, I mean, it's just so ripe for yarn metaphors <laughs> because <laughs> there really is a string or a, a piece of yarn that attaches all of us to each other. And exactly. it's really funny that people think they can just cut it off and not be affected. Right. I mean, it, it affects your own humanity. It affects how you create. It affects how empathetic you are and compassionate you are and how alive you are. Don't you want to be as alive as you can be? Exactly. And, you know, it is not even cutting, but like just pulling. Yeah. Like if you think about it, like you have that great sweater and you get the, the snag in it and how it pulls the whole row of stitches yes. because of the way stitches are connected to each other. They're literally like little people, yeah. you know, and you pull on one, it pulls on everybody. And it ruins the whole garment. It does. It does. AKA humanity. Yes. <laughs> But it's also an opportunity, you know, like it really is an opportunity to just make those, those um, connections tighter. And I think, mm -hmm. I think more and more and more, we need that, right? Like the more digital the world gets, the more we need that, that slower, creative, 
connectedness. You know, it's like the more we lean, and I'm not saying one's worse than the other. We need all of it, right? I often say, like in my world, like the older people were helping them understand technology to connect, and then the younger people were helping them understand, you know, slowing down and putting away the technology yeah. to connect. You know, you really need both. I think you're right. Time for a diet coke break. Yes, yes, yes. Da 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 da. da. <laughs> I really needed that. Love what you love. Diet Coke. Get runway ready. A chance to win the ultimate shopping experience plus hundreds of prizes curated by Kate Moss. Promo packs in store, 18 plus, T's and C's. Visit coke.co.uk slash break. I love also that, you know, another kind of craftivism I think you do is you've helped raise the pay scale for everybody in the industry by your store, by just like how you exist in the space. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of guilt that creatives have a lot of the time around, oh, should I ask for money? Oh, I'm scared to, oh, I don't feel worthy. Oh, who am I to ask for that? But the thing that I love about your journey is by asking for what you deserve, you actually empower other people to ask for and get what they deserve. Yeah. That's the, I literally was just having a, a text conversation with a guy this morning who's arguably one of the best known names in the whole business. And he was talking about, I know I don't charge enough for my patterns or my classes. You know, I mean, he was talking about coming to Tulsa and teaching a class and charging $150. I'm like, you're going to fly across the country and, you know, like take a whole weekend out of your life. And then you're going to charge like, how does that work? You know? Um, but I do, I think it's, um, it's, it's a weird thing, but all creatives really struggle with that. I think because it's tied up in, like creativity is just a vulnerable process. It's, it's your core being right. So asking, asking for money for the core thing about you, it's just really difficult. You know, my husband's a painter now and he struggles so much with how do I price my paintings? Cause I know how much time I'm putting into them and I know how much love and passion is going into them. And I know what my hourly rate should be. Cause I was in branding for this long, but I, like, how do you do that? Right. And so I think, I think that's the struggle. And I, we step through this process with every single person that becomes a knit star. And I know people out in the world will be shocked. All the knitters will be shocked <laughs> at the struggle these people have, you know, um, with, with, am I really worth it? Will it, would anyone really want to watch my workshop? Once it, once I put all this out of the world, will, what will they say about me? You know, um, they're almost even sometimes afraid to share about knit stars. Like, Hey, I'm a knit star, which has become a you know, it's become a cool, high-profile thing to have happen. It's like the American Idol of knitting. It is. <laughs> so much. Um, but every single one of them struggles with imposter syndrome. That's really what it is, right? Mm -hmm. They all struggle with that. So that is part of the mission that I, that I help them understand from the start. You know, like sharing about this, it's you're doing yourself a lot of good and you're doing everybody else good as well, right? Because you're raising the whole yeah. profile of what it should be to be at the top of your game in this space. And, um, and yeah, that is one of the things I'm most proud about is that how much they've been able to earn from this. And then more than that, I mean, we have some, it's, it's got an affiliate um, component to it. And which helps really reward them for all the work they've done to build their following. But also we pay them a flat fee because we don't want them to ever feel like they have to share to make, to do well at it. But there's some that have earned over six figures and in knitting, that's just, but even bigger than that is it, I think it's helped them see that they, they should, uh, they should acknowledge their own worth in all the things that they do. 
and I think of when there's a there's a pair of influencers in particular who are super well known um, from Europe, and they had an amazing YouTube channel and probably arguably one of the biggest followings in the world. And um, they were doing everything for free. They their whole YouTube channel, all their patterns were free. And through this process, I was actually sitting with them at their home, you know, by the side of a lake in in this distant land. I'm trying to keep it somewhat vague. And I said, you, why don't you charge at least for some of your patterns? I mean, you can have some of it be free, but what if you just charge for some of it? And it was amazing to me that like that was such a struggle for them to think of charge. But, but, but people, they, they expect it for free. They know they can go find something similar on YouTube somewhere. Like they can find, I'm like, no, they can't. They can't find you for free. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're like, it's different. It's different. It's you. And um, so those kinds of conversations along with the whole platform, I think have really started to move that needle, you know, and just help them see that it's okay to charge what you're worth. It's okay. And that, and that by doing it, other people are going to see it too. We've also opened the conversations up to be more transparent because shockingly or not shockingly, they don't, they just don't talk to each other. Right. Yeah. Everybody gets in their competitive, you know, like they think they can't, they can't share that kind of thing. There's not a forum for them to share that kind of thing. So we're trying to create more open conversations about what's a fair price there's just no standardization at all. And, and that's true. I think in a lot of creative niches, don't you feel like most? Yeah. Most. Yeah. And there's also just such a fear around talking about money. And yes, like, I know one of the big points of your mission is to create collaboration over competition. Mm -hmm. We just all have so deeply seated in us that like we are in competition with each other, which isn't true. Like you said, the rising tide lifts all ships. Mm-hmm. And nobody's you, nobody's you, right? No. So you can look over your shoulder and worry that someone's following you, but just, just lean farther into you. Like nobody can do you. Right. And the more you do things that feel good to you, the more people will resonate with them. Um, but you wrote this book, move the needle. I definitely want to talk about it. I know it's like, mm-hmm. it's your story, but it's also an incredible guide for people in business, for creatives, for anybody who wants to take a different path. Thanks. <laughs> um, before we deep dive into it, I do want to talk about like, you know, we've talked a lot about money. I'm also a songwriter outside of being a podcast producer and host. Mm-hmm. And that's been a struggle for me. Like I, I, it's my obsession. It's my everything. I love it, but I've never found a way to make it lucrative for myself. Mm-hmm. So if there's someone out there who's like in the similar position to what I am as like a songwriter and a singer, what would be your advice for them on how to like start making a living from that or start reprioritizing it in their brain or something? Like, I don't know. I'm kind of at a crossroads right now. So I'm curious to hear. Okay. This is really interesting. I think you actually just said the word and it's reprioritize it. Right. Yeah. Um, so my mom is a, a therapist. Um, but for a long time, she had like three different careers going. Yeah. And I, it's so easy to see when you're on the outside, but I was like, mom, you've got to move away from those other things to make space for the thing that you love to do. Right. And, and I know you might not be in a place where you can jump totally into it, or maybe you want to keep your, your hands in all a bunch of different things for different reasons, right. For how it feeds you creatively. But I did, I actually, when I was listening to some of your other episodes, um, you made a comment about, you just signed a gig and it was like your first gig in a little bit or something yeah. and like in a little time and that you, you like it made you brought you to tears when you hung up from signing the right. Yeah. I don't know if I'm saying the words right. No, no, like, it is. I, like anytime something happens with songwriting, I'm like, God, do you love me? 
Well, I mean, I'm looking at your face right now and just like how you lit up yeah. when you said that. And then the, anything I think uh, that brings you to tears, when it brings up that level of emotion, that's when you know you're headed in the right direction. So, I, I mean, I think the number one thing is that is just your own, I'm going to prioritize this. I'm going to, maybe I can't clean the whole slate of everything else, but I'm going to make this much more, just a little more space for this thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an energetic thing that happens when you when you create more space for the thing you love to do. So even if it's not doing as many paid things or as many high priced things as you want, but just doing more of it, mm-hmm. I think you will naturally like, and I've watched, I've watched some of your stuff. It's fabulous. I've heard, I, you know, oh, I'm assuming you. you wrote the songs that you've done videos and yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so I think it's that. And then I think it's um, mentorship. I don't, I would assume that there, I know there's people out there who are making a living at that. Right. Yeah. And so then is there, is there somebody out there that, or multiple somebodies that you think would be like the perfect mentors, but maybe, maybe you're a little afraid to ask them because I think creative people are because of how hard it can be. We all know that it really helps to have that leg up in the creative world. Right. Mm -hmm. And so reaching out to a few that you think would be the right mentors for you and asking, just asking if you could spend some time with them. I mean, people that are, have already made it because I do think creative people are quicker to pay it forward than maybe some other people, right? They want to, they want to give right. people the neck, the, the leg up. I mean, I think what you're doing right now, everything you're doing probably feeds into that, but just a little more space and then maybe mentorship. I mean, I don't know. Do you have, is there somebody when I said that that comes to mind that? Well, I just started working with a coach who's amazing and Mm -hmm. he's been really, really helping me. And the biggest thing is like keeping accountability because I think I can get so wrapped up with all the other things I'm doing that. I lose track of time for that. Cause I'm so exhausted at the end of the day. That's why I'm marveling at the fact that you were running two businesses and raising three kids. I'm marveling at all the things that you do. Look at how many different things you do. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And I am multi-passionate. So like mm-hmm. to your point, I don't think I'd be super like hundred percent happy doing one thing. Even when I look back mm-hmm. at high school, I was like doing all these different things. I got two degrees in college. I was doing all these extracurricular. So that's kind of always been my MO, mm-hmm. but I do think reprioritizing, making the time and then having that accountability mm-hmm. is a thing. Well, and you have to have other life experiences for songwriting. I mean, that's where songwriting, the words come from, right? Yeah. I just fell in love and that kind of like, it was a beautiful distraction, but I was like, oh yeah, you are distracting me. How could you? And <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad problem to have. No, it's been wonderful. <laughs> like that also, I will say like, I didn't think that I was going to get that in life. I don't know. I've had a really pessimistic Mm. view of love because I've been hurt so many times. Mm -hmm. And so when that fell out of the sky into my lap and it was so beautiful and like easy, I mean, you know, listen, relationships are all hard, but like, it wasn't like bashing my head against the wall, like all these other ones. It was just like, right. Right. God, I just, I love you. I think you're an amazing person and I want to be with you and you want to be with me. And this is easy. Mm -hmm. It made me realize the other areas of my life, maybe it won't be easy, but they could have ease. Yes. More ease. Yes. How could there be more ease and more flow? Yeah. And, and the other thing is I think, um, and I know you mentioned you have your coach, but also just, aren't there some songwriters out there that are maybe like one or two, three at the next place you want to get to, or they're doing the kind of work you really, really want to do. Yeah. You know, it's not even so much about the, the dollar signs of the success that way, but like they are doing the kind of stuff that I want to do. Cause there's a lot of directions you can go in with it. Right. Right. So I would think, you know, and I think we could be afraid to reach out to those people because we think we're going to bother them or that they won't think we're 
like in their league or whatever. And um, I just find more and more that like people, they, they really do want to share, like they really do want to pay it forward. And, and when they see somebody that they connect with and, or that reminds them of themselves, maybe, you know, a little yeah. earlier in the process, I think they really, I, I mean, I know I look for that, you know, I look for people that I feel like I can really help and support and invest in. Cause you know, it, it's, it's really cool to see people, grow through that. And everybody wants to be part of a process like that. Yeah. I think. Well, I can just tell you're such an amazing mentor already. It's just, just so <laughs> encouraging and so warm. Like, okay, tell me this because sometimes business can be really competitive. I know that you've mm-hmm. experienced that. Like you do your best to lead with collaboration, but there's other people who just want to bring you into their competition whirlwind. Sure. How have you maintained this level of openness, warmth, vulnerability, courage, even with all the times there have been people out there knocking you down or not believing in you? How have you maintained that Shelly warmth? <laughs> well, thank you. Um, first, um, I, I'm still working all of that, on all of that. I think, I think I'm getting better at sensing it sooner if somebody is just not going to be aligned creatively. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's little, it's little tiny things. But like, for instance, when I reach out to the Knit Stars, like I spend a lot of time researching and deciding who the group is going to be for that year. And I, I want a really good diverse group. I have a lot of ways that all types of diversity, right? Geodiversity and, and age, everything. Yeah. But I've, I, I used to say, congratulations, you're invited to be a Knit Star. Now I say, can we get on the phone and explore <laughs> you being a knit star, right? Because I want to have that time to energetically, to see if we're going to be aligned and you could feel it, you know, mm-hmm. they say you can feel it in the first like five seconds of meeting somebody. Right. Yeah. And so I've had a couple that I've gotten on that call in the past and gone, Oh crud, this is not like, this is not the energy. And it's turned out to be a slog, you know, with just a couple, just because And not that there's anything wrong with them. It just was not going to, it was not the right fit up front. So I've tried to be more, just a little more, uh, I'm not going to say self-protective. It's really not that, but it's like um, making those choices up front and looking to see if that alignment is there before I really dive all the way in. Sounds like self-trust, right? Is that what it is? (laughs) I think so. Well, what you're describing is you're like feeling into your body and being Mm -hmm. like, does this feel good? Yes. And if not, then it's just not a fit. That is very much it. It is. It's feeling, it's like getting out of the head. Is is it coming from the heart? Is it, what's the gut saying? What's the heart saying? Like, is how I am I feeling right at this moment? And as a matter of fact, in the beginning of Knit Stars, the first person I reached out to was like this, oh, my dream person that I wanted, right? And they said no. And the second person that I asked, because they didn't get it at all, you know? Right. And then the second per- person that I asked, I even knit a little star and I sent him a FedEx package. I made this whole big deal. And they said no. And then I was like defeated. I was like, maybe this isn't going to work at all. It's a total waste of time. Like I need to just pivot. And then someone said, why don't you ask the person that you, like when you go to these yarn things, the person that you are excited to see, like the person you want to go to, you would want to go to a cocktail party with and like the one you want to talk to at the party. And I, the next person I asked was that person. Her name was, uh, her name's Amy Small from, she has a company called Knit Collage. And it was an instant yes. And it was like, not just yes, but hell yes. And anything you do, I'm there and let's do this thing. And it just, you know, totally changed the energy. So yeah, it's, uh, it's checking in before you go all in, right? Because I tend to just, I'm the puppy in the room, right? I just can't, I'm just like, let's go. What's next, you know? I love being the puppy. <laughs> I think more people should be the puppy. 
we're fans of big puppy energy here. That's our thing. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we're going to, I could talk to you probably all day. Cause I think you're the most amazing person, but I want to close out with talking about your book. This is a love that you've come back to writing. You put it on hold for a while mm-hmm. while you built the knitting businesses, mm-hmm. but let's talk about move the needle. What's it all about? Who's it for? Tell us. Yeah. So, um, the idea of the book is to help people identify that seemingly impossible creative dream and go ahead and go for it. And I didn't write the book. People kept asking me, what's your purpose in writing the book? You know, are you trying to sell something? Are you trying to, you know, promote knit stars? I was like, no, I just, I read the book bird by bird by Anne Lamott. I was actually flying back from filming knit stars in Norway and, and Finland. And I, the book that popped up on my audible was bird by bird by Anne Lamott. Have you read it? No. It's fabulous. Okay. It was, so it was an audit, audible book. And, um, and she was talking about the reasons people write, people write, why she writes, why, why you should write. And it hit me that I was always telling the story of how Knit Stars came to be and how, you know, how, how we built this global brand. I was telling it person after person, but if I could write a book, I might be able to reach a whole lot more people, tell the story as transparently as I can, just share the story and maybe it will light the same spark in them or whatever the spark is that they're afraid to stoke. Like maybe they'll take the leap, you know? And so it was just like, it really was a hundred percent mission driven book. There was really no other purpose for it. And I thought maybe writing my personal story, you know, like maybe getting it all out, I might learn some stuff too, which I absolutely did. It was an incredible process of writing the book. Um, just like you said, reconnected me with my love of writing, but also you just, by writing a book, you, you process all these things, a biography in particular, you process all these things that you've lived through that you haven't maybe taken time to examine. And so, um, so that, that is the purpose of it. And it seems to have really resonated. I've had so many people reach out to me. It's like from you name it, any kind of niche you can possibly imagine. People thought I didn't think I can make this thing that I love into my actual job. I think that's the biggest one that's landed is that um, people thought, well, I love to do this thing, but I got to do this other thing my whole life until I retire before I can do the thing that I love. Yeah. You know, I got to keep slogging away at this thing that I hate. And then one day when I'm 65 or 70, I'll be able to spend a little time doing the thing I love. And I'm like, why not go ahead and try it now? Like if, if it can work in knitting, and that's what, that's what we always say. If you can do this in knitting, maybe I can do it in my other weird little passion, you know? And, uh, and so that's, that's the main, the main thing of the book. And it's, it's a very, uh, it was a challenge in that I would, my style is to just be an open book. But when you actually start telling these kinds of stories, it's like, do I really want to put this out in the world? You know, right. do I really want to say this? But in retrospect, it was an amazing process and I loved every bit of it. And it seems to have really inspired a lot of people already to, take that leap, do the next thing, do the thing that you're afraid to do, do the thing that you really want to do, that you secretly want to do. And the thing that everyone keeps telling you you can't do. Mm. Because for me, that was the common thread. I look back over my life, I like mind mapped it all out. And the thing that I kept, that kept popping up was the word can't. You know, people said, you can't be an athlete because you have asthma. You can't, your, your child, you know, that's born with autism, you know, they can't you know, have a normal life and, um, you can't make a living in yarn. That was my favorite from my first mentor. You can't make a living at this. Um, you know, just, you can't make it in advertising as a woman. Like when I started out, you couldn't go into creative really as a woman, you know, you were going to either be in HR or media. So that common thread 
was what helped me pull the whole book together and really um, it's all built around that. So like, take the thing that people use that can't as a driver to show that you can, right? Uh, I have, I'm so obsessed with you. I think you're the most <laughs> amazing human. I'm, I'm so grateful for what you're doing because I started this podcast because I really believe repressed creativity is the cause of so much of the world's suffering. Mm. And I'm so grateful for what you're doing in the world, the social justice you're doing in the world to help people not have to suffer in that way and go toward their deepest self and love each other more. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for being who you are and doing what you do, Shelly. I adore you. Well, same to you. And thank you for shining a light on the people that you do because you have such an amazing, everyone needs to listen back through your whole history of podcasts because your guests are fascinating and I love what you're doing. And I, I tell people, you know, creative, I was like, creative is the new currency. Yes. Creative is where it's at. You know, the more AI comes along, the more valuable creative becomes. So whatever the thing is that makes you feel most alive and most creative is the thing that you need to lean into because it is going to generate, it is going to be the thing that yeah. makes all the things possible. Mm. So grateful for you. Thank you for everything, Shelly. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to my guest, Shelly Brander. For more info on Shelly, follow her at KnitStars on Instagram. And to learn more about KnitStars, check out KnitStars.com. Also, make sure to purchase a copy of Move the Needle on Amazon or wherever good books are sold. Thanks so much to Unleash producer Emily Shulmanovich. You can follow her at We Can't Find Emily. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Owner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag Shelly at KnitStars so she can share too. My wish for you this week is you stop questioning what will happen to you if you take the leap and start asking instead what will happen if you don't. All it takes is a little creativity, courage, and self-love. I know you can do it. I love you, and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.